0: together fall in love and still in the end we'll fall apart so it's hope is that we stay close but it's the life that we chose it takes time to get it right sleepless days and nights we just need a little more just a little time as good as great so we can't see we're fading away so it's hope is that we stay close but it's the life that we chose it takes time to get it right sleepless days and nights we just need a little more just a little time
1: back to Melia's performance podcast. Today I am joined by Fiona Martin. Fiona Martin is a member for Reid as part of the Liberal Party here in Australia. So she's a federal member of parliament and um, that's one of those people that you see up debating at question time maybe on TV if you're here in Australia or if you're in other countries uh, you may have seen this being streamed. So Fiona is our first politician on the podcast but um she has a very has a very interesting background. So prior to entering parliament Fiona worked as a psychologist, academic researcher and a small businesswoman. Fiona has a PhD also. Like many people who live in Reed, Fiona attended school locally, firstly at Santa Sabina College. And then Rosebank College before graduating from the University of Sydney and undertaking specialised training at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. In 2006, Fiona founded her own psychology practice. In the following year, she completed her PhD, which focused on improving the social functioning of young people with autism spectrum disorder. Fiona has previously worked as an expert consultant and ambassador for a variety of organisations, including Only About Children, Safe Work New South Wales, Little, Bro- Little Blue Dinosaur, and Life Education fiona became the first female member for reed in 2019 she continues her work to support small businesses health education and the most vulnerable members of our community so this was an episode i recorded earlier on this week with fiona and it was quite enjoyable and um, we discuss basically these things around health health promotion and science um, and being the first female um member Reid we also discuss some of the um uh, tips and tricks for managing a family and managing such a high-pressure job as well. So um, really interesting conversation with Fiona. Um, made me think about a few things as well, which is quite interesting. Uh, always like that when I get challenged. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. But before we go into the episode, um, if you want to find out more about us, go to au to find out about the people that we have in the business solutions that we offer all the podcast episodes are there so we're nearly approaching 90 episodes now a number of blogs there as well and you can follow us at melius perform at melius perform on instagram at sleep for perform on instagram and on twitter at melius perform and we have a melius consulting page on linkedin as well and if you have two or three minutes spare really would appreciate if you went to your um podcast app and left us a review as well. Also starting to get some questions emailed in, which is, which is nice. So if you have any questions or any guests you'd like, um, we can we could, um, see if we can get those on or address some of those specific questions. Anyway, on with the episode. Welcome back to Melia's Performance Podcast. Today, I am joined by a very different guest, Dr Fiona Martin, who is a Member of Parliament here in Australia. Fiona, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on today.
1: So, Fiona, how, how are you supposed to address a Member of Parliament? Is there a, is there a particular title we have to call you?
2: No, just uh, Fiona.
1: Fiona's um,
2: Sometimes we're called Parliamentarian, sometimes referred to as a politician and sometimes referred to as an MP.
1: Ah. And then what happens when you hear on TV the Honourable? What's the Honourable mean?
2: Oh, the Honourable is really for the ministers. <laughs>
1: oh, it's for the ministers, okay. All right. Okay, so that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a title we, uh, we might talk about in a few years.
2: <laughs> Hopefully.
1: <laughs> so Fiona, can you maybe give the listeners just um, a little bit of an overview of the, of, the, of the seat that you hold in Parliament at the moment and for which party in Australia?
2: Yeah, I represent the seat for Reid, which is the inner west of Sydney in Australia. It's one of the most multicultural seats in the nation. Um, I have a uh, a constituency that is made up of uh, people from uh, Chinese, Korean, Lebanese, Greek, Italian. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. (laughs) The the picture dropped out there. Um, uh, so we have a very multicultural community. People from various cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, um, and it is fairly young as well. Lots and lots of families in Reed, and Reed um, is you know includes suburbs like Dremoyne, Concord, Five Docks, Strathfield, Burwood, and uh, Rhodes and Wentworth Point, and we we capture six councils um, in in the whole of Reed. So um, it's quite a large area, a lot of movement and activity, and it's changed a lot over the um, over time. So, um, with migration, I guess, you know, we've seen Reed change quite a bit. Um, you know, when I was at school here in Reed uh, back in the, uh, oh gosh, how long ago was it now? I'm 43, so this, when I was, you know, in high school in yeah. the 1990s, um, you know, there was, it wasn't what it is today it's very much changed and um and certainly much more diverse than it was back then which is good you know uh it's really lovely to represent an area that's so rich in cultural diversity
1: so Fiona before the podcast we we were talking you have your own cultural background as well which uh, you know you were saying is a is a mix between Greek and Irish and then so you're you're no kind of stranger to um ethnic and cultural diversity yourself with your own family
2: yeah, my grandparents on my dad's side, paternal side, migrated from a little Greek island called Castilodizor, which is near GNC, um, and uh, they, my my grandfather, migrated to Australia in 1926. So that was some time ago. Uh, and on my mother's side of the family, there is a strong Irish, um, you know, heritage there. So, um, so yeah, I'm I am. Uh, uh, the result of multicultural Australia too, yeah, which is
1: yeah. which is good. So, if you on that background of that multicultural area, that must be very challenging to try to understand each group's kind of cultural, um, I suppose, diversity. What's appropriate one culture may not be appropriate with another. It'll be difficult to communicate maybe um, different ideas. It's hard, or it might be it might be difficulty in ascertaining what the needs are of all those different people. What some of your kind of tips or strategies yeah. you have about engaging such diversity?
2: Well, I think it's important to understand that uh, Reed is heterogeneous. It's not homogenous in the sense that there's a lot of culture in Reed, and it's about appreciating that culture. And also, it's a lot about you know what multiculturalism is, which is really celebrating you know the languages, the the customs the food and, uh, you know, special events, I guess, in the calendar for the various uh, cultural groups that represent and make up breed. And uh, engaging with the community groups is really about reaching out and uh, listening very carefully. Listening is an important skill, skill I think, as a Member of Parliament um, and uh, and understanding what the issues are. And each community group have unique individual uh, needs and some of the needs uh, you know you need to reach out to people and you need to listen to what their concerns are and uh, and you do that by you know in various ways and of course we we do a community survey um, but it's also about attending events and uh, talking to various cultural leaders within each community as well.
0: Yeah
1: so Fiona your background before entering politics um, probably made you or probably supported you in this aspect of, of communication because you've got a background in psychology and you've got your PhD in psychology as well and ran a practice looking at um, uh, psychology. I believe your PhD was looking at, um, was autism, was it? Was that, was
2: that, yeah. yeah. So I'm a registered psychologist uh, and worked as a registered psychologist for almost 20 years and mm-hmm. owned my own private practice for almost oh, about 13 years. Um, I'm an educational and developmental psychologist. That's the area of endorsement that I have, um, which is a specialisation within um, the field of psychology. Um, It means you work with people across the lifespan, but you particularly work with people that have um, difficulties with development, uh, behavioural, you know, learning. So um, I did a lot of work with um, young toddlers and young children who had developmental disorders such as autism spectrum disorder. But also worked with um, families going through separation or divorce, um, relationship difficulties. Um, worked treated a lot of people with anxiety and depression, um, with, with other conditions as well. But um, you know, a whole range of conditions, and and um, yeah, worked in a in a in a clinical practice with other psychologists um, uh, in Sydney. So yes, yeah, so I come from a from the non-political world um in many ways um i'm not your typical parliamentarian
1: (laughs) (laughs) so that's a a nice segue into fiona is why why did you after all that time you know getting a phd is quite difficult it takes a lot of time you were running um in this practice and all of a sudden then you had this kind of what looked like on your resume this kind of flip into politics with no precursor to, to politics. Um, it wasn't like you were working your way through a government organisation, it wasn't like you were you know, the leader of the young Liberals or Labour, and then all of a sudden you, you run for the seat. What was the catalyst or how did that come about?
2: So I actually studied politics and psychology in my first degree. So I majored in government and public administration and uh, politics at the University of Sydney. Um, So I've been interested in politics for a long time. I was one of those um, young people who was involved in the young liberal movement uh, at about 18 years of age. And prior to that, um, my first taste of politics was an ad in the local paper. Um, They were looking for someone to be a facilitator for Youth Week. And um, I think my mother noticed the ad in the paper and said, oh, Fiona, you should apply for that. You'd be good at that. And I said, oh, all right, so I did. <laughs> and at 16, I put my hand up to be the Youth Week ambassador or whatever, uh, facilitator, sorry, for, for the area. And um, I had to interview all these young people and ask, you know, what they wanted for the community, how many skateboard rank, ranks they wanted and, you know, how did they want the park to be designed yeah. and whatever else. Anyway, I really enjoyed the experience. I had to write a report and then there were some um, events that happened afterwards with it. So I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed participating in the democratic process at that local you know government level as a young person so um, I kind of looked at avenues of getting more involved in politics and then I came across I think at that young age of whatever 17 or 18 I came across the young liberal movement and I joined and I joined the young liberal movement um, fairly early on so I was um, involved in politics at a young age. Um, but never saw politics as being a career choice. Um, it was more of a hobby for me when I was younger. So um, it wasn't something that I saw myself uh, necessarily doing uh, as a job. But um, but later on in life, I felt that it was important, um, uh, you know, uh, to be involved because I was very interested in um, well, a whole range of aspects of government and I'd always kept involved by helping out people, you know, during campaigns and uh, whatever, you know, keeping in, keeping involved in the Liberal Party. But um, there came a time where I felt that really we need more women in, elected to Parliament. And um, it was, you know, okay to comment from the sidelines, but I thought, gosh, if I want to see a change, I think I'm going to have mm. to be the change I want to see. So that's why I put my hand up.
1: <laughs> so Fiona, you say you joined the Young Liberals. So for people who mm. may be you know, international listeners mightn't be familiar with politics, so in general, how would you be able to describe what the Liberal Party is?
2: Well, I guess at its core, the Liberal Party stands for freedom, so it works to protect and support, you know, liberty and the rights of Australians. Um, And um, in many ways, I was drawn to the Liberal Party but because I philosophically believe in liberalism, um, and, you know, I, you know, valued people's freedom of association, you know, um, and I also believed in the quality of opportunity. Um, and I guess, you know, they were things that, you know, were important to me. And so the values of the Liberal Party resonated with me and I found that I was able to participate in grassroots policy, politics with similar minded people in in you know a, a similar age and so that's what really got me involved and also too I think you know it wasn't just at that branch um, level it was also within the Liberal Party as well so I was a young Liberal at um, the University of Sydney I was involved in a Liberal Club so student politics um Was also, you know, I guess another influence. And at the time, I think they were all fighting for compulsory unionism at the uh, the university. So those sorts of issues, you know, came up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was surrounded by people who were in small business. As a kid, I would, you know, hear conversations around the dinner table or, you know, at home around about running a small business. Um, The the Greeks are really big entrepreneurial (laughs) people. Love running small businesses, if, you know, cafes and uh, seafood, uh, you know, uh, uh, fruit and vegetables. I mean, I, I don't know. It must be in our blood. I don't know. <laughs> um, but Greeks are very entrepreneurial like that. So I, I grew up listening to people, uh, family members, you know, um, who were who were running small businesses and um, listening to listening to what they had to say about. Um, uh, politics. So I think it must have had some kind of influence on me as a child. Um, and yes. um,
1: mm. So if you to like the Liberal Party would probably be, you know, in, if people are kind of in their mind's eye just trying to peg where they are, they're probably more to the right than to the left where Labour would classically be in terms well, of politics.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think, you know, John Howard, who is a former prime minister, um, uh, of Australia um, and who was also uh, involved in the young liberal movement when he was a young person described the Liberal Party as a broad church um, so it's I think in many ways a blend uh, of libertarian beliefs and conservative traditions um, yeah so I mean I think that it, it encompasses a range of views. Mm. Um, oh, for, for
1: for sure. Yeah, I think there's like, yeah, there's a, there's a, I think like with any group, there's always a, a range of views, but I just, I'm just trying to get listeners maybe to just in their minds, eye be able to describe a, um, left and right, because a lot of people will look at like that and, and wonder. And the reason, the reason why I wanted to kind of uh, um, establish that is because, you know, like we said, Fiona, a moment ago, you had a, you have, a, sorry, had, have a PhD. Nobody, nobody took it away from you. Um, you have a PhD in psychology, and mm-hmm. you know you're saying about being in, in in the academic circles and being quite vocal. Um, around young liberals here and, and quite active. A lot of people would associate like academic types or PhD types with very left leaning, and socialist, nearly communist type, you know, so you you kind of maybe would be different than most people. Is that is that, is that, is that representative of all people around academia mm-hmm. and research um, or were you kind of on the fringe or is there more liberal people, or is there more of an even split than we actually know?
2: There's actually less people in politics on both sides that come from science backgrounds then there are from people who are from finance or law or from the political class, as I call it, um, people who have been staffers or who have uh, worked in sort of public sort of servant roles in some way. So um, on both sides, there's a lack of people who come from um, health slash science backgrounds. So it's good to see more people from the health sector, from, from science in Parliament because it just brings about more diversity. And also, you know, as a clinician, I advocated for uh, evidence-based medicine and uh, evidence-based practice, which means that, um, with, you know, I would say I was a scientist practitioner in, in the sense that my practice as a clinician was informed by the research And so that, in my new role as a parliamentarian, that influences my my practice as well, I guess, many ways in terms of um, evidence-based policy. When I'm on a committee, when I'm talking about an issue, I like to reference what the research says. So that's the beauty, I guess, of having someone that uh, has a science background um, in parliament
1: yeah, I, I totally agree with you. That's the kind of um, methodology I employ in my own work as well. Is that look at the evidence first, and then look at our practical application of where we've applied that evidence or those solutions, and then you know, and then you know, we might be able to test some other you know um, improvements as well as we go along. So, I definitely um, you know second what you're saying there about using the evidence. Just as a side note, Fiona, you a lot of people these days, you know, with stuff that goes on in the U.S. Poli- in the U.S. political arena, and what we see here in Australia, a lot of people are you know, dismissing evidence-based science. Um, they're not believing it. They're, they're saying that science is just an opinion. And it's interesting because last year I actually asked somebody about this. And I it, this, this this kind of feedback that I'm going to share it kind of indicates what people think about science. I was in a forum in a, with a company. And one guy actually said to me, he goes, well, science is just an opinion. And I asked him to explain a little bit further. But he couldn't really explain it or articulate it well. But it got down to it anyway after a little while. He actually thought that, you know, if you and I, Fiona, wanted to write a paper, let's say, on sleep in in autism, so we were crossing two boundaries like that, we were crossing a boundary with two different fields and we were trying to come up with you know new research, he actually thought that we would just sit down and write a paper, that we would write the methods, the results and the discussion It would take us like a day or two and then just publish that paper. He had no appreciation for the scientific method, funding, ethics, the process that goes through, the debate you have within a research team with a paper, the different versions, the peer review process. It was all completely foreign to this person, you know, they, they actually just thought that it was an opinion based thing that was written and it was just published and, and that was it. And they thought that was the same for climate, health, the whole lot, it, it, this is how science was done. Do you think that here in Australia or even around the world that we need to maybe, you know, fundamentally look at how we educate people in the scientific method and evidence based methods to uh, to help promote this kind of critical thinking around this area?
2: Well, yes, I do. And I think that, you know, when you have people that come from science backgrounds in Parliament, that that reinforces the message that, you know, science, about scientific methods. I think a lot of... Um, I think the science... You know, I mean, I am trained in that way. And, uh, and like I said, there's not many people on both sides of the Parliament uh, in our system anyway. I don't know about in other countries around the world, but there are not many people... Um, on either side that have a science background. So that's why I think it's very important um, to ensure that we have uh, a range of people represented in representing parliament from different backgrounds. It's incredibly important that we don't just have people that come from the political class or from, um, you know, a very narrow um, sort of, you know, group of people, that we have a broad representation of different professions. I think that's important
1: for our, for our nation. Fiona, you um, you've been quite vocal in Parliament. Um, some of your clips have been shared around LinkedIn and on Instagram, you know, with some of your, your wording or reinforcement around the importance of certain health issues, particularly sleep. Um, you communicated some of the findings from the Parliamentary Inquiry and Deloitte Access Economics recently with Sleep Health Foundation. Um, are, are you using your seat in Parliament to promote health as a, as a kind of a flagship thing that you're working on, or... Uh, is it something you just feel really passionate about, and you know you take the opportunity to talk about it in Parliament, or is it kind of your your spearhead of your uh, of your role?
2: It sort of works both ways I mean naturally, I'm attracted to policy areas that I have a background in, and I can contribute you know um in a big way. It just makes sense, doesn't it you know um but uh people who are from those sort of sectors, be that health disability or uh, you know, anything related really are attracted to talk, or wanting to talk to me as well, um, probably for the same reasons that, it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a language that I speak and I understand. So um, I, you know, speak to people in the electorate and also community groups in the electorate and when there's an issue that I think um, will benefit uh, a lot of people, uh, and I think that it's worthy of speaking about because it's going to have maximum impact on people's well-being and lives, then I often, you know, um, sit down and, and put pen to paper and write a speech on that issue. So sleep's one of those issues that I think is fundamentally so important. I've always said in my practice that sleep is number one. Um, and, you know, it's so important to 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 us really, especially at a time like this, where mental health is particularly important, uh, given the impact that um, you know COVID has had on the well-being and mental health of, of people around the world, not just in Australia. I mean, sleep is our body's way to rest and repair, and um, and it's really important for for our brain function. And as you mentioned, that Deloitte Access Economics um, report. Um, Um, indicated that almost 40% of Australians suffer from insufficient sleep and we know that it increases the risk of, you know, health conditions, lack of sleep, that is, um, including depression, anxiety, but also conditions like heart disease, diabetes, you know, stroke, cancer and Alzheimer's. There's so many conditions that are affected, that that are uh, people are at increased risk of developing with, because of a lack of sleep. It's just so simple um, to problem solve as well. I mean, it's, um, it's one of those issues that can be addressed. And it's very important not just for our health but for our economy as well because um, it impacts on productivity. So uh, I spoke to um, uh, the chairperson of Sleep Disorders Australia, Michelle Chadwick, and she runs a not-for-profit organisation, and um, after speaking with her, I thought, gosh, this is just something that really would, it's so simple, but something that would really help so many people, and I think it's really important to raise the awareness of it, and uh, I did a bit of digging, and I found out that the health committee had actually done a report on it some time ago. and had recommended that we do a sleep awareness campaign, so Um, You know, I just reiterated the recommendations of that, which was a a public um, awareness campaign on sleep and how to improve sleep, Um, because I just felt that if we understood, you know, the risks um, and were better educated on sleep health, that we'd be much better off. Uh, as a nation so that's how that came about
1: <laughs> yeah no I think and I think it's it's good always to reinforce that because um you know people may be getting a message at different times or they may have well, missed it and I think you know the Sleep Health Foundation does some great work around this so I'd urge people if yeah. you, for free resources to go to the Sleep Health Foundation they've got lots of stuff there you can download share at work uh little packages and so on we've had obviously 70 odd episodes of this podcast here devoted to sleep when it was sleep for performance and we've had lots of people on there world leading researchers uh, people who apply it in industry so no matter where you come from um, there's lots of uh, free resources out there that people can access so it's great to hear someone like yourself in parliament talking about it as well and getting that message out because um, obviously we need we need good policy around this area so it filters down into our community.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the pillars for good mental and physical health. You know, the other two are diet and exercise. And uh, those three things are really the core for good health. So, um, you know, I'm happy to talk about those three things at all times because I think, you know, well, health is really important. Health is number one.
1: So, if you want to, people might be might be uh, sitting back thinking, "I wonder when I look." When, like sometimes, when I flick on TV, you see, you know, politicians maybe doors and off uh, in Parliament at Question Time, particularly in the UK, we've seen this a lot. Does this happen in the Australian Parliament, or is there just too much feistiness going on?
2: Sorry, I didn't catch the beginning of that question. <laughs> <laughs> the bus is on in the back. The bus in the background here, right out the front of my
1: doorstep. So <laughs> that's all right. I think. I think you. Uh, I think you give. You. That was a very astute uh, political move there by saying you didn't hear the question. the The question was. No. <laughs> the question was: um, We've seen lots of footage, particularly in the UK, and um, well, in my lifetime anyway. From we would see English politics on TV in Ireland. We would see politicians falling asleep, and I'm just oh. wondering: Have you seen politicians falling asleep in Parliament, oh. or is or is the Australian Parliament too feisty?
2: Yeah, no, I've definitely have seen one or two nod <laughs> off. And I and I and cuz at the moment we're not always in the house at the same time, we're rostered on. So when I when I've seen somebody, you know, nodding off, I'll text them and say wake up, I can see you nodding off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely it happens from time to time. Mo- most of them are alert. Um uh, you know, yeah, you, you just got to stay. I mean, it's a long day in Parliament. You know, you start the day very early and it ends very late, so um, you can understand uh, why they might, you know, rest. But it can get feisty in there at times. In Question Time, it can definitely get feisty.
1: <laughs> so I was going to ask you, that, Fiona, because you come from a, a professional background. You know, working in these areas where it would be kind of calm and measured, and then in Parliament, you know, yeah. it always it always struck me as kind of interesting in Parliament that. Uh, you know, grown people leading the country would shout and roar at one another, heckle each other. And I thought, if you did that, like I started my career in the military and then went into mining before coming out on my own. And I thought, God, if you did that in a meeting in a mining company or in the military and you were heckling each other like that, it'd be serious repercussions. Was that a shock to you when you went into parliament to see that kind of live right in front of you?
2: <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit confronting for someone who works to basically resolve conflict, yeah. but, you know, in many ways it's kind of theatrical conflict, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, um, it's, um, you know, some of it is a bit put on, um, but, yeah, it can get feisty in there on certain issues, on, on, uh, on certain problems that, you know, um, are being debated and issues that are being debated. I guess, yeah, it's a little bit strange, isn't it? Because I'm there being, in my practice as a psychologist, you're very collaborative and consultative in your approach and you're also about conflict resolution and teaching people conflict resolution. So it is a little um, strange for me to sort of enter that environment. Um, but it is, it is lots of fun and it's entertaining at times as well.
1: Yeah. I do often wonder though, like, is it, is it really a good message to be sending from a leadership perspective to people? I do wonder about that While, whilst I know it's theatrical and you know it's part of politics. You you wonder just sometimes like is a is it a good message or not a good message, you know. But it's uh, it's quite interesting. But, and then culturally across the world, different parliaments behave differently around that as well. So it's it's interesting oh, to look at.
2: Absolutely. I think in all the Westminster sort of systems you see that going on. But it's debating and I think people love to kind of, you know, razzle dazzle, you know <laughs> with their <laughs> debating skills at times and um having a bit of you know uh what is the word i don't know being charismatic or you know showing what you got kind of thing in that space can be a bit of fun so you know there are people that really enjoy watching it (laughs) Oh yeah, things. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We we've <laughs> been uh, we've been watching the killing season, the ABC documentary, uh, the three parter about Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard, and got some snippets. Uh-huh. There, and I was like, I was getting really into it. Watching, it. I was like glued to it. I had to watch one episode after another, I was really getting into it. And then um, <laughs> we watched uh, Question Time a few weeks ago, our Q and A. Quick Q&A, sorry, on a Monday night. Well, and Malcolm Turnbull was on and Paul Kelly from The Australian, and a few weeks. Oh, winners. yes. And even my wife said, Wow, if it's like that every week, i can going we keep watching it? It's so good. Because huh? <laughs> they, they were getting a bit feisty, Malcolm Turnbull and Paul Kelly, and I think Bob Carr was getting quite animated. So maybe it does attract viewers. Maybe it's better than watching The Kardashians.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think definitely better than watching The Kardashians. But, um, but people get really passionate and they believe, you know, strongly believe what they're saying. And so, um, I
0: think that's where it comes from. Yeah. So Fiona, mm-hmm. um,
1: you're obviously extremely busy with, with that with that role and kind of traveling up and down to Canberra, meeting people within your uh within your within your C um C for Reid. And mm-hmm. then also on top of this, you're you've you're married and got four kids. How how on earth do you balance all this work and, and still find time to, you know, um keep fit, spend time with the kids, you know? um yeah be kind of upright and happy
2: (laughs) yeah like all working families across australia i'm just one of them really you know just trying to balance work and family life uh i won't i won't say it's easy it's definitely challenging at times but uh it's you know it's what i've always been and what i will always be (laughs) um you know i've always been a working parent and uh and I think that there are so many working parents out there doing what I'm doing. So I'm just, I'm just like every other working parent, really. And I think that um, I've told my kids that I'm serving the country, and it's like mummies in the military in many ways, except yeah. instead of holding a weapon or whatever, I'm hold, I you know, I'm speaking in Parliament. So um, I just said, you know, when I go to Canberra, it's like Mum's going over overseas to serve, you know. And uh, and then I come back. Uh, fortunately, I come back sooner, and um, and they understand that. In some ways, I think they've had a greater appreciation of our political system and a better understanding of um, politics because of because of my contribution, um, and and so that can be a good thing for them. And I also just try and devote time to each of them individually when I am around. So. I wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for my for my wonderful husband and all my family, really, um, including my mother. But um, but you know we're all we're all working parents these days. I mean there are so many you know dual income families in Australia. I'm I'm really just another you know working parent
1: yeah and so do you have any um well all working parents are on tv and have their life scrutinized but um (laughs) do you have any insider tips maybe for um for parents out there that might be as you said dual income working families do you have any tips on planning making time what's do you have any secrets you've developed over time to uh i just
2: think you need to you need to utilize all the help that you can get you need to appreciate the help that you do get and it's um you know it's a village that helps raise children I I think that's a very important thing to understand when you're a working parent is that you need to you need to utilize whatever support you've got available to you and um, you know you need to be pragmatic about it all but I do think that I get asked this question way more than some of the fathers in the parliament
1: yeah that is that is interesting yeah that is actually yeah I think I think I don't know for me personally I think i don't know I, I i feel like i suppose i i admire i think and I, it probably should be both ways i think you're dead right so it's probably my own failing there but i i when i see um females in leadership positions over the years uh, you know getting to like being ceos managing directors um, and like yourself in Parliament. I just think it's unbelievable like it's so good to see people be, be to be able to balance all of those things and to be able to make it work i just think it's great you know so where we've had that traditional like i was brought up a traditional family of you know dad goes to work mom stays at home as we got older mom did some work but it was traditionally that kind of you know i don't know how you categorize it mom stays at home and to see a change and to see it be successful i i just find um i just find it very interesting how people balance it you know
2: yeah Well. My mother worked and she always did. So perhaps that influenced me. I, you know, uh, didn't have that kind of traditional early years. So I had mum always working. So I think that may have shaped, you know, um, me. But also I think that, you know, you... Well, I mean, you know, we're educated, you know, and uh, I just don't (laughs) see, I just, you know, with someone with a PhD, I don't don't understand why you'd want to not work. So, you know, and to to contribute. And also it's an honour to serve your country and it's very important for women to be represented in all levels of decision-making. I think because women bring issues that are slightly different to the table and maybe they fight for certain issues that are more important, that affect women more, So, um, and, uh, you know, and tend to be a little more consultative and collaborative in their approaches. Um, But, yeah, I think that it's difficult, you know, work-family balance is an issue for all working families across the nation Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I think that, you know, it's good for Australia to have real people as their elected representatives, people that really do Balance um, that work-life balance too, because that reflects, you know, people and the lives that people are living. I mean, who could be more in touch with working families than someone that is <laughs> uh, that <laughs> yeah. has a work, that is a working family? So, it, it, you know, it's good because I'm I'm able to relate to people, and um, and I think that I understand the struggles that many families experience.
1: No, I totally agree, totally yeah. Agree so, Fiona, before we let you go, um, so thanks very much for your time Wh- where, Where is your political career going? Are we talking to a future PM of the country?
2: <laughs> oh, that's very kind. <laughs> 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 uh, who knows where the journey will go? Um, I think it's an honour to serve your country, and I'm certainly honoured and privileged to be holding this position. I think my job is to represent the people of Reid as best I can and... The people of Reed will decide, you know, where I go ultimately. Um, but I mean, I, you know, well, let's see where it goes.
1: Finally, watch this! The,
2: face. Watch this! Yes,
1: I will. I'm putting, I'm putting. an asterisk here. Fiona Martin, 23rd November, <laughs> 2020. You heard it first. Um, <laughs> um, so, Fiona, actually, the, the final thing I wanted to ask actually was, what would you say? What would yours, What would you say to people out there listening who? You know, maybe going. Oh, I'm not really into politics. What, how how can people get involved in politics, and why should they get involved in politics? Why is it important to be kind of informed or engaged these days in politics?
2: Yeah, well, politics is everywhere. I mean, you know, whether it's your workplace or your profession, or you know, your children's school or preschool or um, your council. I mean, everybody's involved in politics in some way, whether they're they're aware of it or not. Um, but political parties are really um, where grassroots politics goes on, you know, and joining a political party is a great thing. You know, I don't think that it's something that you should be uh, embarrassed about at all or, or, or you know, um, in many ways, it's just hard trying to find the time to participate. But it's certainly worthwhile because you get to share your ideas and, uh, and your, you know, those ideas just a simple idea, you know, um, can turn into um, something that changes our country and shapes our country. So I don't ever underestimate the power of, you know, um, someone's contribution at that grassroots level because those ideas can be filtered up through an organisation like, say, the Young Liberal Movement or, you know, um, a political party and can actually make it to um, into the parliament. So it's a very important thing i think to participate in politics it's so important to um be involved in the democratic process because every voice should be heard and everyone has something to say and everyone's contribution matters so um democracy is wonderful and i see in many ways my role is to protect democracy because um you know this that's what this country is about and 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 we i strongly believe that the democratic process is incredibly important to to our nation's future and i you know think that people shouldn't should participate i mean I, I encourage everyone to participate in politics so um um you know it's been such a wonderful thing for me and um and for many people that have served this country and who knows where it'll go
1: <laughs> excellent well if you want thank you very much for your time today really appreciate yeah. it and we wish you all the best in the future no matter where your political or what career takes you
2: thanks very much and it was really lovely speaking with you
1: thanks